The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man that wants to remind everyone to have sex so good that you forget about the Alamo. It's Dale. <laughs> what? <laughs> the Alamo. Damn the Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've already forgotten about the Alamo. Alamo. <laughs> I don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> well, you're supposed to remember the Alamo, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you have sex so good, you forget about it. <laughs> That's some good stuff, I reckon. I guess it is. <laughs> How are you, bud? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm great, man. Oh, man, this is good to be back. It is. Uh, we're actually recording a little early this week. so Yeah, we are. But, you know, nobody will know the difference. But it's going to go out the same day. So yeah, as, long as, you, as long as you don't tell. No, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Shh, be very, very quiet about that. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> but anyway. Well, so you can get shout-outs for us, bud. Oh, yeah, we do. We got a, we had a, another great Apple Podcast five-star review this week. And I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to try. I'm going to say a Pofchi. Is that right? Pofchi. Yeah, it's P-O-A-H-F-C-H-I. So Chi. Whatever, what, however you spell that or however you pronounce that, man, we really appreciate the the great comment and the five-star review. Thank you very much. Ma'am or madam, we appreciate it. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, we really appreciate it. We love you, guy. We got a, a big, major, giant, super, super giant shout-out to our friend Jennifer Orcutt out in Texas. We would like to say thank you, thank you so much. She went over to the website and hit the, the donate button on the on the gas money machine, and man, she filled the tank up. So man, man we just we we can't thank you enough. I was blown away. I appreciate that, it, Jennifer. It was so it was awesome, so gracious. Oh, yep. Wow, thank you, thank you so much. And anybody else wants to go to the donate button on the website and click that gas money button, by all means. Yeah. All right, Donnie, what's going on today? We're gonna do something a little bit different today. We are going other side of the world we're Ooh. going we're going to australia Ooh, exciting yeah and uh covering the case from down under mike australia speaking of we'll go we're going to australia we got to give our buddy felicity a big shout out over there uh so won't you guys go check out her podcast the unknown passage and uh check it out we we uh hit her up on this and was gonna get her to come on and help us do it but she's just got a lot of stuff going on we couldn't work it out so Go out and check her podcast out. She's a cool chick. Yeah, this is our first episode of Outside the Country. Across the Waters. Yeah, across the pond. Yeah. Yeah. The other side of the world. Pretty cool. Yep. Mike. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. That's not a knife. This is a knife. Yep. But this is the <laughs> case of Catherine Knight. Dum, dum, dum. Catherine Mary Knight. Now, Catherine Mary Knight 
was born on October the 24th, 1955, Dale. 1955. Yep, in Tenterville, New South Wales, Australia. All right. And she was born and raised in a pretty unconventional and dysfunctional family. And her mother, her mother's name was Barbara Ruffin, and she had been married to a guy named Jack Ruffin. Ruffin. Was, yep. he, a, was he a Ruffin? I guess he was a Ruffin. <laughs> Come from a Ruffin family. Mm-hmm. And they lived in the small town of Aberdeen, and it was Aberdeen. in New South Wales in the Hunter Valley area. And Barbara and Jack, they had four sons before Barbara started an adulterous relationship with a guy named Ken Knight. Hmm. And he was a friend and co-worker of her husband. How's that going to work? It didn't work that good. But uh, the Ruffin and the Knight's family were well-known in the area, and the this affair caused a pretty big scandal. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. It did. It caused a lot of problems. And a lot of local backlash forced Barbara and Ken to leave Aberdeen and move to a town of called Morey. Uh, that's spelled M-O-R-E-E. I hope I didn't butcher that name because these are these are Australian names. And yeah, where's Felicity when we need her? <laughs> exactly. Say some of these names, but yeah. they moved to Morey. And, but none of Barbara's four sons went with her. Mm. And the two older boys, they continued to live with their father while the two younger sons were sent to and raised by an aunt in Sydney, Australia. But Barbara had four additional children with Ken. Good Lord. And including twin girls born in 1955, which was Catherine and her twin sister. Her name was Joy. And But Catherine was the youngest of these twin daughters. And in 1959, when Catherine was four, Jack Ruffin died, and his two boys who had begun living with him moved in with Barbara and Ken. So that means there's six of them now? Yeah, it's a it's a house full. It's a yeah. it's a Brady Bunch mix. Right. Yeah. I don't know if they watched the Brady Bunch in <laughs> Australia or not, but this is what it was. Pretty much what it was. Not in nineteen fifty five I didn't. No, but this <laughs> but this is what it was really. Oh, yeah. Now Catherine's father was an alcoholic and he was openly violent and used a lot of intimidation, Dale, to rape his wife Barbara up to ten times a day. Him. Yeah. And Barbara, she often told her daughters all the intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated sex and men. So yeah. so now she uh, she left this other guy to be with this guy, right? Yep. Makes you wonder how bad her other situation was. <laughs> oh, good God. Okay, go ahead. I'm yep. sorry. That's <laughs> I'm all just right. thinking, damn. Yeah. Now, later... Especially said she hated men and hated sex, and he's hitting her up ten times a day. Yeah. Which is a little excessive, maybe. Yeah. Okay. But later, Catherine complained to her mother that one of her partners wanted her to take part in a sex act that she didn't want to perform in. Right. And Barbara told her to put up with it and stop complaining. So basically, she was asking her, what what should I do, Bob? (laughs) Like, just shut up and take it. Take it, yeah. (laughs) Okay. And Catherine claimed that she was frequently sexually assaulted by several of her family members, though not by her father, which she continued up till she was 11 years old. Although there were there were a lot of details about this, and a lot of people doubted it. Yeah. And psychiatrists, some of the psychiatrists accept her claims, and the events have been largely confirmed by a lot of her family members. Dale. Well, it's hard. It's hard to tell. You don't never know really what's going on, but. If he's, you know, if her dad was 
beating her mom and doing all this stuff to her. And that's all she sees and all she knows. Maybe she's just, I don't know if yeah. it's happening or if it's not. Yeah. How you going to know? Now, Catherine, she attended uh, Muswell Brook High School. And she became a loner and even remember was remembered by classmates as a bully. And she stood over smaller children. I think Catherine was pretty tall. Yeah. Her age and plus here again this is all she knows that's all she's ever saw at home being, know, being a bully being a bully and getting getting your way and she assaulted at least one boy at school with a weapon and once was injured by a teacher who was subsequently found to have acted in self-defense yeah now by contrast when not in a rage Catherine was a model student and often earned rewards for her good behavior and upon leaving school at, at the age of 15 without even learning to read or write. She gained employment as a cutter in a clothing factory. Hmm. So she grad well, she left school at 15 and couldn't read or write. That's sad. Very, very sad. So I was kind of wondering, you know, it said she was a loner in school and stuff going on. Where's her sister at this time? The, the, I mean, there's not much on her sister, Joy. the same age, right? Yeah. It's okay. All right, I was just thinking. There's not much. I couldn't find much on her sister. Okay. Yep. But, yeah, she was working at that clothing factory, and then 12 months later, she left to start as what she referred to as her dream job. Hmm. And she started working as a, well, started working at a local abattoir. And now an abattoir, for anybody that doesn't know, it's a slaughterhouse. And I think uh, in this area where they live, that was like the the big, big money employer, right? Yep. So that's probably why she's just ready to get out of school and go get her job. Yep. She didn't care about reading or writing. She just wanted to go hack up some stuff. Yeah, it's a slaughterhouse, and uh, it's a place where animals are slaughtered and most often provide food for humans, and they supply meat, packing, and and shipping it out, you know. Gotcha. Yep. So that's pretty much what they do. But while she was working there, she was quickly promoted to boning, but not, not in a good way. <laughs> and, and and Dale, I don't know. but yeah, she was given her own set of butcher's knives. Oh wow! And when she was at home, and when she wasn't working, these knives hung over her bed, so they'd always be handy in case she needed them. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I think when she first started in there, they had her in uh, the what they called the awful room, where she worked with innards and stuff like that. And then Guts she would and go, stuff. and she had a real fascination with watching them. Uh, kill the hogs she would just go watch the guys kill them so just real fascinated by that watching them bleed out yeah and i think she'd done this a couple of times and but she wouldn't do it as quickly as the others and she would do it slow just to watch them suffer right like nick Audrey or something yeah yeah watch them squirm and stuff she was she was getting groomed early on for some bad stuff later on down yeah yep. we're going to talk a little bit about her marriage to david collette and this was her first marriage and Dale, he was a hard-drinking guy. Hard drinker. Yep. And he had previously worked for the railways in Coffs Harbor, and his best friend was killed in front of him in a shunning accident. And this is like when two railways, or railroad cars hooked together, but they call it shunting in Australia. Australia. Okay. And David was also present when a train hit a school bus in Kempsey, killing six children in 1968 and he even helped rescue the injured and remove some of the bodies but his heavy drinking had been attributed to these accidents right 
Yeah. I can see that. Yep. And But he was transferred to Musselbrook after causing several derailments due to falling asleep while shunting. His behavior deteriorated, and he even eventually lost his job. Right. And, but he soon got work at the nearby Aberdeen Abattoir, where he became close friends with Catherine's brother. And after he began dating Catherine, he occasionally dated her sister, Joy. Hmm. And That's often, weird. Yeah, and often David got into a fight, and Catherine would step in and back him up. Yeah, she was a manly woman. Very manly. And in Aberdeen, she was well known for physically threatening anyone who upset her. Hmm. And But Knight married Colette in 1974. And at her request, the couple arriving at the service on a motorcycle with a very intoxicated David Collette. And as soon as they arrived, Catherine's <laughs> mother, Barbara, gave David some quick advice. Yeah, I think pretty much that uh, Catherine told him they was going to get married. Yeah. He had a whole lot of choice in this. Yeah. What did she tell David? He said, uh, this old girl said to me, watch out. And an old girl he was referring to, uh, Catherine's mother, said to me, watch out. You better watch out or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. You don't even think of playing on her, which means cheating. You don't think about playing up on her or she'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking. She's told me straight out, <laughs> you got something to lose. This girl's got a screw loose or something. And that was coming from her mother. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't put in the fucking deals. <laughs> yeah, that's what David That's what David said is her mother told him. Yeah. So uh, if that ain't a warning, I don't know what it is. Now get this, Dale. On their wedding night, Catherine tried to strangle David. And she later explained because it was he fell asleep after only having intercourse three times. Only. Yeah, only three <laughs> times. Man, we only had a Bluetooth sponsor. Yep. <laughs> and I think she had told him said that her mother had had sex at least five times on her wedding night. Yeah, so she felt like she was getting shortchanged. Yeah. Now, how she knew about her mama, I don't know. Well, her mama told her everything, I yeah, guess. Yeah, mama was pretty upfront about her sex life <laughs> with her kids. Good God. Yeah. But their marriage got violent, and on one occasion, a heavily pregnant Catherine Knight burned all of David's clothing and shoes before hitting him across the back of the head with a frying pan, simply because he had got home late from a darts competition after reaching the finals. And, yeah, and he was pretty much in fear for his life, and he fled and collapsed in a neighbor's house. And he was later treated for severely fractured skull. Good Lord. And police wanted to charge Catherine, but she changed her behavior and pretty much... Talked had, him out of it. Yeah, had David drop the charges, yeah. She worked some magic on him, didn't she? Oh, yeah. God almighty. Yeah. I mean, a severely fractured skull, that's a hell of a shot with a frying pan. You know, just moving just a little bit forward, in May of 1976, and this was shortly after the birth of their first child, who they named Melissa Ann, David, her husband, left for another woman and moved to Queensland, Australia. And he was apparently unable to cope with Catherine's abuse. Oh, shit. I left after the frying pan. And Catherine was often seen pushing their new baby down the street, just all over the place in a stroller. Hmm. Side to side, up and down, just banging it around. Just vilely throwing her around. Yep. But Catherine was admitted into St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth, where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression and spent several weeks recovering. And after being released, Catherine placed two-month-old Melissa on a railway line. So wait, this is after 
she recovered? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she stole an axe and went down, went to town and threatened to kill several people. And a man known in the in the district as Old Ted, he was working on a nearby railroad and found and rescued Melissa only minutes before the train passed. Damn. So she just laid her kid on the railway. And left. Yep. Went to town threatening people with an axe. Yep. And Catherine was arrested and again taken to St. Elmo's Hospital, where she recovered and signed herself out the following day. Oh, yeah. It only takes one day. Yeah. For <laughs> postnatal depression. One day you're, you're, you're cured. Yeah. Here's a kid. There was just a few days later, Catherine slashed the face of a woman with one of her knives that she used at the slaughterhouse and demanded she drive her to Queensland to find David Collette. And the woman escaped after they stopped at a uh, gas station. But by the time the police arrived, Catherine had taken a young boy hostage and threatened him with a knife. Damn. Yeah, so Catherine is all over the place, man. And she was disarmed when the police attacked her, and she was admitted to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. Okay. And Catherine told the nurses she intended to kill the mechanic at the service station because he had repaired David's car, which allowed him to leave. <laughs> yeah, that's why he left. Yeah. So she's going to kill the mechanic that fixed his car. Good Lord. And then she was going to kill both her husband and his mother? Yep. When she arrived in Queensland. God almighty. And when the police informed David of the, you know all this, he left his girlfriend and moved to Aberdeen with his mother to support Catherine. He moved back in with her. Yeah, I don't, I don't get him. That's crazy people, man. Yep. Now, Catherine was released on August 9th of 1976 into the care of her mother-in-law, along with David. And they moved to Ipswich, which is a city west of Brisbane, Australia where she got a job at the Denmore Meatworks. On March the 6th of 1983, they had another daughter, Natasha Marie. And in 1984, Catherine left David and moved first to her parents' house in Aberdeen, then to a rented house in nearby Musselbrook. Um, Although she returned to work at the abattoir, she injured her back the following year and went on disability, no longer needing to rent accommodation close to work. Mm -hmm. And the government gave her... They gave her like a housing commission residence. Her like disability, right? Yeah, exactly. So this cat don't know how lucky he is that she decided to leave him. Yeah, this David guy. Yeah. Just a little while later, Catherine met a 38-year-old miner named David Saunders in 1986. And a few months later, he moved in with her and her daughters. And But he kept his old apartment in Scone, Australia. And Catherine soon became jealous because... When he wasn't around and would often throw him out, he would move back to his apartment and beg him to return. <laughs> she just, he'd leave, but then she'd beg him to come back. She's all over the place. Yep. And in May of 87, she cut the throat of a two-month-old dingo pup. It's a, this is a dog in Australia. Yeah. They call them dingoes. Right in front of him mm-hmm. for no reason at all. So she just went out the back and cut his dog's throat because she knew he loved the dogs. Yep. And told him this is what would happen if he ever had an affair. And then she went on to knock him unconscious with a frying pan. God Yep. So I'm going to kill your dog and I'm going to hit you over the head with a frying pan. But I love you. Yeah. I want you to come back. <laughs> I want you to come back. You need to get rid of that apartment. You ain't going to need it. Mm-hmm. Bing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And in June of 1988, she gave birth to her third daughter, Sarah, which prompted you know the family to put a deposit on the house because they had a big family then. Yeah. 
And Catherine paid off the deposit when her workers' compensation came through in 1989. And Catherine decorated the house throughout with animal skins, skulls, horns, and, you know, stuff like that. Rusty animal traps. Machetes. Pitchforks. Good God, even the ceilings, was uh, nothing was left uncovered. Yeah, it was a... Uh, it like fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Not a man cave, but yeah, like a you Texas know, Chainsaw Massacre. Go in that back room there, all that stuff in there. Yeah. Man. Let's hide in the room with all the chainsaws, like a TV commercial. <laughs> yeah. Nobody ever looked there. All right, now, after an argument in which she hit David in the face with an iron before... Iron. Yeah, in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Damn. And he moved back to Scone, but when he later returned to Aberdeen, he found that she'd cut up all his clothes. David took a long service leave and went into hiding. I, I can't blame him. No, hell no. And Catherine tried to find him, but no one admitted to knowing where he was. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't, you know, I fessed up. And it was several months later that uh, David returned to see his daughters and found that Catherine had gone to the police and told them she was afraid of him. Yeah. Basically taking out a... Um, like a restraining order. A restraining order. order, which was called there an uh, apprehended violence order. but An AVO, but... Yeah. Just so he couldn't see his kid. Yeah. After he'd been stabbed and... Hit with an iron in the face. <laughs> Jeez. Damn. <laughs> Frying pans. Yeah. And he didn't want to live in hell else. Exactly. <laughs> Moving just a little bit later, in 1997... Catherine became pregnant by a 43-year-old former abattoir co-worker named John Chillingworth and gave birth the following year to a boy named Eric. But their relationship lasted three years before she left him for a man she'd been having an affair with for quite a while. And his name was John Price. So wait, you can't do nothing. You can't keep an apartment because you might be doing something or you can't be playing darts because you might be doing something. But the whole time she's... Banging and sl- <laughs> yeah, going from man to man. Yeah, she must know some tricks because she keeps reeling them right back in. Yeah, and it hits you in the face with a frying pan, and you come back. She knowing some tricks. Exactly. Good God. Now this John Price, his full name was John Charles Thomas Price, and he was born April the fourth, nineteen fifty five, and he was the father of three children when Catherine had an affair with him. So he's got three of his own. But he was reported as a pretty nice guy. Yeah, terrific bloke. Yeah, that's what they call him now. Blokes. Yeah, blokes. <laughs> and he was liked by everyone who knew him. And his own marriage ended in 1988. And while his two-year-old daughter had remained with his former wife, the two older children lived with him. Mm. And Price was well aware of Catherine's violent reputations as she moved into his house in 1995. Tell me, she knows some tricks. Cause now, if, you, if you already know her background. <laughs> she's she's silver-tongued, no <laughs> doubt about it. Now, his kids liked her, and he was making a lot of money working for the local mines, and, and apart from the violent arguments, at first, life was pretty much going good for him. Well, you know, you know, a lot of people keep saying, you know, she's really, really violent, but on it's just like a switch. She's really could be like the best mom or the best wife or housewife or whatever, but one little thing, and she don't get a little angry. She goes full bore, pan yeah. in the face. Yeah. So, or iron to the face. <laughs> yeah. Or scissors to the stomach. There's knives and jabs and whatever. Yep. Yeah, crazy. Now, in 1998, Catherine and John fought over his refusal to marry her. 
And in retaliation, Dale, she videotaped uh, some items he had allegedly stole from work and sent the tapes to his boss. That's crazy. But these items were out-of-date medical kits that he had scavenged from the company trash. Right, so he wasn't technically stealing stuff. It had been thrown out, but he was just right. taking out the trash and taking them home. It was just medical kits. Right. You know, might be good for something. Why are you going to throw them away? Yeah. Yeah. Look to me like, you know, like Band-Aids. Do Band-Aids go bad? I don't right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, now get this. John was fired from the job he had had for 17 years because of this, stealing something out of the trash. Ridiculous. And that same day, he kicked Catherine out, and she returned to her own home while news of what had done had spread throughout the whole town. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Now the crazy part is this. Yeah. A few months later, he restarted the relationship. He went back to her. Yeah. I'm telling you. (laughs) Tricks. Yep. Even though he wouldn't let her move in with him this time, but yeah. the fight became more frequent, and most of his friends wouldn't have anything to do with him because they knew something was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So all of his friends wouldn't have anything to do with him, but yet he was back with her. <clears throat> Crazy. Yep. It's going to get worse, people. I'm just, just warning you right now. Yeah. It's going to get worse. Just when you think it can't, it does. <laughs> now, in February of 2000, there were a series of assaults on John Price, and... It culminated with Catherine stabbing him in the chest. And he was finally fed up, and he kicked her out of the house. I said, you can't stab me in the chest anymore. <laughs> she, she don't care. Mm-mm. And on February the 29th, Leap year. Yep, he stopped at the Scone Magistrate's office on his way to work and took out a restraining order in an attempt to keep her away from both himself and his kids. That was the first smart thing he's done all day. Yep. Now, that afternoon... John told his co-workers that if he did not come to work the next day, it would be because Catherine had murdered him. Wow. Yeah. And despite their pleas that John should not return home, he stated that he was afraid Knight would kill his children if he did not. Yeah. Well, they just get the kids and leave, man. And John Price re- arrived home to find Catherine, although not herself. She'd sent the kids away for a sleepover at a friend's house. And he spent the evening at his neighbor's before returning home and going to bed about 11 o'clock. And earlier in the day, Catherine had bought new black lingerie and had videotaped all of her children making comments which had been seen interrupted with a crude wheel. She later arrived at Price's house while he was asleep and sat watching television a few minutes before having a shower. She then woke John, and they had sex. And afterwards, he fell asleep. Now, about 6 o'clock the next morning, Dale, a neighbor became concerned that John Price's car was still in the driveway. And when he didn't come to work, an employer sent a worker to see what was going on. Hmm. Both the neighbor and the worker tried knocking on the house, and the bedroom window tried to wake him up. But they alerted the police after noticing blood on the front door. Yeah. Hmm. This ain't good. Nope. Uh, The police got to the house about 8 a.m., breaking down the back door, and police found John Price's body with and with Catherine comatose from taking a large number of pills. Mm. She had stabbed Price with a butcher's knife while he was sleeping. And according to the blood evidence, he awoke and tried to turn on the light before attempting to escape while Catherine chased him through the house. 
and he ma- he managed to open the front door and get outside, but he stumbled back inside and was dragged back into the hallway where he finally died and bled out. Yeah, so basically what had happened is uh, she he went home and went to bed, and then uh, she had been by her daughter's house to do that video he was talking about with uh, her kids and stuff and saying, I hope I see you again and all this stuff, making some really weird comments. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like a like crude wheel. And said even her daughter was like, what are you planning on doing? I hope you're not going to kill kill John and yourself. What What is going on here? And so then she left there after making the videotape, I'm assuming just to make it look good, and got her lingerie. And then when she went, when she got to, to John's house, he was already asleep. So she went in, just watched a little bit of TV, went and took a shower, put her on a lingerie. She went in there and then uh, woke him up. And then they, they got together or whatever. How are we going to say that? They had sex. I don't really like that word. No. Okay, so they went in there, and she woke him up, and then they, they ended up having sex. Well, then uh, she waited, and once he fell asleep, that's when she stabbed him with a butcher knife. Yeah. So it was, like, really crazy. And then they ended up stabbing him over 37 times. Yeah. That they could tell front and back. And when he tried to get away from, like I said, with the blood evidence, when he tried to get away, He's like, he got up and apparently it hit the light switch in the bedroom because there was blood on it and down the hall and out the front door. And apparently she had grabbed him and pulled him back in, you know, because she was pretty sterile. Yeah. And then there was blood on the front, you know, the front there. That's how they seen the, what was going on. But so that that's really how we get where we are right now. Yep. Yeah. And it was later reported that after that happened, Catherine had went into Aberdeen and withdrew $1,000 from John's account at an ATM. But Price's autopsy revealed that, like Dale said, had been stabbed 37 times. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy because he was stabbed in all these the vital organs from you know the front and the back and cut his aorta. I mean, it was, everything was really precise. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah. But yeah. Like we said, she had some sharp butcher's knives from working in the the, the slaughterhouse. Yeah, a whole, a whole uh, variety of knives. Yeah, and it's going to get a lot worse. Yeah. Just when you think it can't, it does. It's going to. Now let's drag this out. A little uh, bit. Let's go. Now, several hours after John Price had died, Catherine had skinned him out. Mm-hmm. Yep, she was able to cut his skin off of him. Yeah, very precise. Yeah, I'm, and it's been reported it was all in one piece. All in one piece. I mean, hair, pubic hair, fingers, everything was basically a man suit. Yeah. I think it was one little area that wasn't left, and it was a scar. From where she stabbed him before. Yeah. She so left, she left that connected. Yeah. As a, I'm sure it was like a damn trophy or something. Or, that's, gotta be, that's sick, man. Yeah. But other than that, she cleaned She, It's crazy. Yep. She uh, took took those knives even to stop and uh, resharpen knives at points when she needed to to cut through all the stuff. But everything was really... I mean, it was so precise and professionally done, I guess you should say. Yeah, because they found blood on the sharpening yeah. or sharpeners that, that she but, had. Yeah, it cut his entire skin off in one, is left in one piece. Yep. How wow. crazy is that? And, and how long would that take? If you're skilled, it wouldn't take long. Because, I mean, she'd done this for a living. Yeah. And she knew what to do. And she hung the skin from a meat hook. Yep, in the doorway. Yep. Like I said, it's going to get worse. Yeah, just when you think that's crazy. Yeah. She then decapitated John Price, mm. cut his head off, and cooked his body parts. 
serving up the meat with baked potatoes, pumpkin, uh, something called beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy in two settings at the dinner table. Yeah, from what I, from what I understand, she actually put his head in a pot with stuff, so it was making like a head stew, I guess. Head stew. And then she had cut, um, I don't know, steaks out of his ass. Yeah, out of his rear end, rear steaks. <laughs> rump roast i guess i don't know flanks or whatever but yeah that's where the she got said that that and then, then cooked up some steaks as well yeah yeah and then uh after she done all that she had uh, two settings on the dinner table with little notes beside each plate and each one having a name on them and each one the name was uh his kids like yeah. she had fixed a plate for his kids yeah consistent of their dad mm-hmm Damn. And she was serving the body parts to his children. Yeah. and But there was a third meal that was thrown out in the backyard for some unknown reason. Yeah, that's kind of strange. I wonder if, if she made her own plate and then... Couldn't eat it. Couldn't eat it or did it eat some of it or just did it or... You know, and it's also been said maybe she just threw it to the dogs just to make it that much more despicable, you know, like feed it to the dogs, but mm-hmm. who knows? You never know. You know, and it was more, really more... Um, um, information basically saying that she had had the stew instead of <laughs> instead of the steak. Golly. But you never know, I guess. Mm. And it was sometime later, Catherine arranged the body with the left arm draped over an entire one and a quarter liter soft drink bottle with his legs crossed. Yeah, in his favorite chair. Yep. And with no skin now, mind you. Yeah. Remember this body's no skinless. Skin. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And this was claimed in court to be an act of defilement, demonstrating Catherine's contempt for John Price. Oh, yeah. And Catherine had left a handwritten note on top of a photograph of John Price. And it was bloodstained and covered with small pieces of flesh. And it read, time got you back, Jonathan, for raping our daughter. Well, she's made some major misspellings here. Yeah. And rapping. Yeah, rapping, which was raping our daughter. You to Beck, which was Price's daughter for Ross, for Little John, his son, now play with Little John's dick, John Price. Which is kind of weird. I think she's just trying to make it look bad on him because everything in the note was basically, you know, unfounded. Yeah. So it was just kind of crazy. But So but, let's uh, let that sink in a little bit. Um, even when the cops got there, the pot was still warm. Yeah. You know, so like you've been cooking for a while. Yeah, so the head was still in the pot, still cooking. Damn, the skinless head. Yeah. You know this. Even in Australia, Dale, this case didn't get much coverage. No, it was too vile for even them to talk about. Yeah, they tried to keep it out of the news. Yeah, because yeah, it's just too damn. I'd say this is probably the worst, one of the worst we've covered. I mean, it beats. Richard Chase, Richard Ramirez, anything they done. I mean, it was. It's know. pretty rough. This right here is methodical, man. It is not just a quick kill, do this. She she thought this out and uh, mm-hmm. took advantage of this guy and killed him and then took her time skinning him out. Yeah. With precision enough to keep his full skin in one piece like a bodysuit. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, speaking of. <laughs> 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, damn, it's, you know, I've seen a lot of people talk, call this lady like the, the Lady Hannibal or whatever, Hannibal Lecter, but to me it's more like the Lady Leatherface. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, she wasn't wearing the stuff or whatever, but. I mean, she'd often been compared to Ed Gein in a lot of ways, but. Yeah. But, yeah. Not quite. Yeah, Ed Gein's a whole other level, but. But yeah, this is still pretty damn bad. Plus, it's a woman, so that's mm-hmm. something you just don't really expect. Yeah. But now, going to trial, Catherine's initial offer to plead guilty to manslaughter was rejected. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. And she was arraigned on March the 2nd, 2001. That ain't long ago. No. Really, if you think about it. Yeah. 20 yeah. years. Yeah. And on the charge of murdering John Price, to which, he, to which she entered a plea of not guilty. And her trial was initially fixed for July 23rd, 2001. But it was adjourned due to her counsel's illness and was uh, rescheduled for October the 15th, 2001. Hmm. And when the trial commenced, uh, Justice Barry O'Keefe offered the 60 jury prospects the option of being excused due to the nature of the photographic evidence. Right. So he's basically saying, well, you know, you got pulled for jury duty, but if you don't want to see this, you can just leave. Yeah. Damn, that Which, would be rough. They were five of them accepted. Yeah, and while the witness list was read to the prospects, several more also dropped out. After which the jury was it was set then. Yeah, and Knight's attorney then spoke to the judge, who adjourned on the following day. And the next morning, Catherine changed her plea to guilty, and the jury was dismissed. Right, and it was then made public that Justice O'Keefe. Had been advised the plea of, you know, the guilty plea the day before, and he had adjourned the trial and then ordered a psychiatric assessment to determine if Catherine understood the consequences of the guilty plea, right, and was fit to make such a plea. But Catherine's legal team planned to defend her by claiming amnesia and disassociation, a claim supported by a lot of psychiatrists, and although they did consider her sane. And two psychiatrists concluded that uh, Catherine suffered from borderline personality disorder. You reckon? You think so? Yeah. He also said that that was definitely not what caused her to do this. This is a, she was already had that in her head. Yeah. Now, no reason had ever been given for the guilty plea, and despite giving it, Catherine still refused to ex- accept responsibility for her actions. Shit. And at the sentencing hearing, Catherine's lawyers requested that she be excused to avoid hearing some of the facts. But the application was refused. Uh, there was um, Timothy Lyons. He took the stand and described the skinning and decapitation. And Catherine became hysterical and had to be sedated. She did this. It was planned. Oh, yeah. And on November the 8th of that year, Justice, Justice O'Keefe pointed out that the nature of the crime and Catherine's lack of remorse required a severe penalty. Yeah. And he sentenced her to life in prison and refused to fix a non-parole period and ordered her, ordered that her papers be marked never to be released. Yeah, she ain't getting out, Mm-mm. no matter what. And this was the first time this had been imposed on a woman in Australian history. Right. So there's no, been no woman get the full life in prison until this. Yeah, especially the mark on your papers never to be released and mark out the parole part that ain't happening. Just scratch that part out. Yep. Line through it. Now, in June of 2006, Catherine appealed the life sentence claiming that a penalty of life in prison was without a possibility of parole was too severe for the killing. (laughs) 
Good God. Yeah, and then just as Peter McClellan, Michael Adams, and Megan Latham dismissed the appeal in the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal in September with Justice McClellan writing his judgment, saying this was an appalling crime almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. Yeah, it was, it was awful. It said that there were many of those police officers who arrived on that scene, they just quit. Yeah. And decided that this job wasn't for them, you know, and many of them had, you know, a lot of problems after that, even saying many of them had to, they couldn't even eat meat for months after, after seeing what was going on. It was just so bad. So it sticks with them. Yeah. And I think the, even they said that the, all the crime scene photos have been locked away. They don't even let anybody see them. Yeah. Dang. Can you imagine? Mm-mm. Can't even imagine. And to this day, Catherine is imprisoned at Silverwater Women's Correctional Center and is currently imprisoned at the Clarence Correctional Center. Yeah, where all the inmates refer to her as Nana. Is that what they call her? Yeah. She, <laughs> seriously. Wow. I bet she don't get no work in the kitchen. Though. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, she's Nana. Oh, Nana. God almighty. But that's uh, that's Catherine Knight, Catherine Nana Knight. Uh, this was our first case, not in the United States, right? That I'd never heard of until recently, and I'm I'm just floored yeah, learning crazy. about it. All right, Dale, we are going to get out of here. All right, man. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the, the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.